It's 2019. Trade waiters <laughs> persisting into 2019. Can you believe it? It's the future. Happy New Year. Still waiting for those trades. <laughs> <laughs> Some of those trades take a while. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to 2019 Trade Waiters edition. Thank you for making us a part of your new year. Hooray. Mm-hmm. Hooray. And today's pick was one of Jeff's. Jeff, what book are we doing? Uh, we are doing Batwoman Elegy by Greg Rucka and J.H. Williams III. Okay, so first of all, this is Batwoman Elegy, if you are reading The Trade. But one thing that I discovered in my research, which actually I didn't even realize, is this story was actually originally published in... Detective Comics number 854 to 863. Sheesh. Uh, And so we were talking before we started recording about how it was a little bit difficult to figure out which specific bat person we were reading a book about. (laughs) And uh, in my research, I determined that it's actually really difficult. There is a bat woman and a bat girl. And uh, I also discovered that in the last, I think, five years, uh, continuity has been rebooted like three times in DC. So there's like multiple Batwoman number ones. <laughs> um, but this is the official, like, first standalone series featuring Batwoman. She appeared in earlier comics, uh, like, she was introduced as a character. Uh, in a series called 54, which was a series that took place during a time period when Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman went missing. And so this woman showed up to sort of fill in for Batman. Uh, But this was her first sort of... This was the series where you actually got to find out her backstory and learn about her as a character, her official introduction. Okay. That makes... (laughs) That makes a little bit more sense to me. And we can discuss this in a little bit more detail, I guess, but... I was like, I started this book and it felt like stuff had happened in the past and it's like, it's kind of a beginning. I liked how it was largely self-contained, but oh man. <laughs> well, yeah. I've, I've got some opinions on continuity as well, which we can talk about. But you know what we haven't done yet? Oh, no, yeah. We, Character revealing questions. That's right. That's right. And I did put one down. Okay. So I was going to ask everyone here, what was the hardest character for you to write for in our own writing in your own comic writing Uh, and I'll maybe lead us off so I am Jeff Ellis and I would actually say that in my current series I'm working on Crossroads uh, my main character is a lesbian character and I uh, struggled a lot with making sure that I wrote that effectively and I had a lot of people a lot of good friends who read through my script multiple times and gave me a lot of good advice and I still am not convinced that I'm I did a hundred percent a good job with my writing um, but I also thought about that in reading this book uh, where Greg Rucka is writing a lesbian character and there's a lot of stuff in here that I think I don't know, I would 
as as a, a coming from a straight white male writer, it takes some guts to like put that out there and and hope that you're being authentic. I'm Jonathan, and I think the hardest character of my own that I've had to write so far is uh, someone who's only been on like a couple of pages of my webcomic so far. So um, until months from now, no one's going to know who I'm talking about. But there is a character named Tamaseb who is, uh, I guess I'm going to have to spoil some things here. So spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't, who's, uh, who's currently reading Phobos and Demos. Uh, Tomasev and Maida have a relationship later on. Ooh. <laughs> uh, we've only seen him for a couple of pages, so there's not really much hint of that yet. But uh, I found him probably the hardest character to write, partly because I don't have a lot of experience writing romance, and so that was hard. And it's the story is from her perspective, so I have to really sort of think outside of myself and put myself in a new, another character's shoes. Uh, and to make this character... To make not just the relationship believable, but to make the character sort of interesting and unique and, like, different from other characters that are out there. Like, I don't want him to be too uh, simple because then nobody cares about the relationship. But uh, if he's too complicated uh, or too dark or something, then, like, no one's going to like him and uh, that relationship isn't believable then either. So that was that was tricky. I think I did an okay job, but no one's read it yet in its finished <laughs> form, so I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> uh, I'm Jam, and a lot of my comics are autobio, so they kind of write themselves. Uh, I did write a graphic novel that I ended up shelving, which was four books long, and the character in that that was the most difficult for me to write was one of the antagonists. So the primary antagonist was someone who really believed that they were right and I could find myself getting into his space and he was like you know an evangelist and like a very motivational person and I had no problem with him but then there was this secondary antagonist who was very power hungry and very Machiavellian and really wanted just to be in power and would step on anyone he wanted just to be in power and I found that really difficult to relate to uh I found it I just couldn't quite get a bead on this character and what he was about. And I, I think it did really show in the writing because, like, I hated writing scenes with him and he felt like a cartoon villain. And it's like, I really didn't like that character. So, yeah, there's a reason that book is shelved, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Huh. All right. <laughs> what did that, it's, not, it's not because of that character, though. There's <laughs> so many more other reasons. <laughs> Shout out to all the stories that we've all written that no one will ever see. <laughs> I've written a few myself. They're mm-hmm. all part of the journey. They are. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, just uh, really quick, I was going to give some background on our artists that did the, the book. So, uh, Greg Rucka is an American comic book writer and novelist. Uh, he's known for writing for Action Comics, Batwoman, and Detective Comics, and also a Superman miniseries. And his uh, novel, he did the, uh, I think it's a detective series called Atticus Kodiak. And then J.H. Williams III is a comic book artist, penciler, and uh, he's best known for his work on Promethea. Um, he also did some work with um, Warren Ellis for Desolation Jones and uh, Sandman Overture. And uh Another interesting fact is uh, after this series, Greg Rucka moved on to doing other projects and left Batwoman, and J.H. Williams 
teamed up with another writer and he became the co-writer for the series oh interesting uh so volume volume two of this is co-written by the artist uh so in my research i had some background on the character so batwoman was actually originally created uh in 1956 uh and she was actually created as a response to seduction of the innocent which was the uh, book criticizing comics written by frederick wortham uh, in his book, he accused Batman of having uh, homosexual overtones and leading youth astray. And uh, because it was 1956, the publisher didn't want that impression to be left on their characters. So they originally created Batwoman as a girlfriend for Batman to prove that he was not gay. Uh, which I then found, uh, I took a lot of enjoyment in the fact that um, Greg Rucka specifically took that incarnation of the character who was called uh, Katie Kane and uh, made it Kate Kane and made her a lesbian and completely like went away from the original intent of the character. Uh, and then J.H. Williams made a much better costume. I know we're an audio medium, but I did take a screenshot of the original Batwoman costume. And I think you can agree with me that she looks a lot better now. <laughs> uh, we'll maybe post that in the, the show notes. So yeah, uh, I also... I didn't read any of these sort of uh, tangential comics, but from the research I've done, and I'm sure someone can like at me if I'm wrong, but my impression of this series is that a lot of the things that they reference, you don't actually get a lot of the writing of this stuff. Like a lot of this stuff is, uh, is made up back continuity. So when it feels like you're jumping into the middle of a series, there's a lot of things that Greg Rucka's throwing in just to sort of flesh out the character to give them like a pre-existing history. So when they talk about her past encounters with like this syndicate of crime, some of that stuff may not actually have ever been written in any other comics. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Like, I think the intention was to make it feel like you're jumping into the middle of a, se- I think it was intentional. Well, to feel like you're jumping in the middle of a series. Sure did. <laughs> so this whole thing with her having her like heart stabbed out or whatever, that never actually got written or. Um, that may have like been part <laughs> of like, but it, I think it, that might have been like a, a small chapter in a, in another comic. Like it may okay. not have been the central focus. So okay. I don't Weird. think they fleshed out the writing of all this stuff until this series. Okay. Yeah. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. I was, because I, I, I actually, I remember enjoying this when I first read it. And then on rereading it, I had to give myself pause and go, did I get them to read volume two? And, and then I was like, no, I did some research. And no, this is basically the, <laughs> if you want to know the story of oh, Kate, Kane, Kate Kane, this is the okay. story. <laughs> okay. So I, I think I've talked enough. So maybe impressions from the group. <laughs> uh Sure, okay. So I went into this super skeptical. (laughs) I read a lot of superheroes when I was younger, and they were all Marvel, though. (laughs) So the nostalgia I have for superhero universes is not for the DC universe, Mm. and I know very little about it apart from what shows up in movies, which I haven't (laughs) even seen all those movies. So getting me to buy into this was not easy and took a ways. (laughs) But in the end, I do think it was pretty good for what it is uh like i found a lot of value in it there were some interesting sort of plot devices and character twists and like the art is really interesting so uh i enjoyed reading it uh i it doesn't make me want to read anything else from dc but (laughs) yeah generally i thought it was okay 
Yeah. Uh, I also have mixed feelings about this book. I went into it with a very open mind because I'm like, there's a very wide field of superhero comics and they don't generally click with me, but I did want to give this a chance. I did expect it to be more difficult to read than it was. Okay. So like, yeah, I got through the book and I was like, ah, I... I am interested in this. I am entertained. <laughs> Some parts of the book I enjoyed a lot more than others, which mm. we can discuss. Yeah. And overall, I think my impression of the book is this is a solid book. It's just not the book for me. And that's okay. Right on. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, what do we want to talk it, about first? <laughs> is it possible to summarize this plot? Um, I'm not sure I can do that. Okay. So. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to try. Gonna Let try. me hear. Let's do this. Okay. I'm going to do it and okay. like tell sure me how go. much I got oh, correct. There we go. I like it. Right? Okay. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> Kate Kane randomly decides she's going to be Batwoman. And apparently that's just a thing you can do. <laughs> uh, she got kicked out of the military and she's like, well, this sucks. I guess I'll be Batwoman now. And then there is this syndicate, which maybe we've never heard of before, uh, that is the antagonist to Batwoman. And Batwoman is like, I'm going to crush the syndicate for because they tried to stab out my heart. Which I, I mean, legit. Yeah. Like if a syndicate tried to stab out my heart, I'd be pretty pissed. Uh, and then there's this new big, big bad at the syndicate. And she's like, I got to figure out who the big bad is. And it's important. Uh, so she comes up against this big bad who's named Alice. Yeah. And is kind of... I. It felt like the character only quoted Alice in Wonderland? Yes, I yes. can confirm. Like, uh, yeah. okay. I've read Alice in Wonderland a few, enough times to know every single one of those speech bubbles is, like, copy-pasted out of the book. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> the Alice character wants to kill Batwoman for unclear reasons. Because she's the big bad. Yeah. And then there are werewolves for unclear reasons. <laughs> And, and wear octopuses. And wear octopuses. <laughs> and eventually, now I'm kind of losing the plot. Eventually, <laughs> Alice decides she's going to nuke the city with chemical weapons. So she kidnaps Kate's dad, who is in charge of the military, or some military big dude. Yeah. And uh, they take a plane, and then they are going to nuke the city, but then Batwoman saves the day, but is sad. For reasons we can discuss. Yes. So it's like, do we want to spoil it? Like, spoiler. Well, I think, yeah, we it's it's understood, I think. If you're listening to Trade Waiters, we're spoiling. So. We're, we're spoiling. So the twist is that Alice, with, okay, Alice was actually her twin sister who she thought she was dead from childhood. Yes. But she doesn't find out until her sister is falling out of plane and dying. Correct. And then she spends the rest <laughs> of the book being, like, upset. Understandably so. Yeah. <laughs> but it's structurally a very weird book to experience. Yes. So how how much of that do you think I figured out? You did I, a much better job than yeah, I would have done. I, okay. I, I think you hit almost all the major yeah, plot see, points there. Can confirm. Did read yeah. the book. <laughs> I mean, no, I think that was good. Um, and, and, and maybe I think the one thing is I think that you told it in a linear way. And I think that when you actually lay it out in a linear fashion – it's not as compelling as the way Greg Rucka structures it because like a lot of the backstory about her sister and uh, even her like reasons for being Batwoman is like something you find out later on. So you're sort of starting at dealing with the syndicate and the werewolf people and then kind of catching up on the backstory in the middle of the book. And I sort of think that telling the story out of order made it more compelling 
if that makes any sense. That is a valid perspective. Uh, I think an alternative perspective is that it made it very confusing, <laughs> especially okay. because of this added complication of feeling like you're dropped in the middle and mm. the complication of it being a DC book, which right. has like this history, this kind of understood history of like editor's note, see episode Mm-hmm, 536 mm-hmm. of Detective yeah, Comics. Yeah, yeah. no, Blue I think or whatever. I think it's pretty clear that this was not written for people who have not read DC before. <laughs> They're expecting their audience to have done some homework ahead of time. <laughs> the thing is, like, I'm not clear what the homework was. Like, no, I, I kind of, I've gotten used to it at this point of trying to read superhero comics that it's like there's just going to be stuff that i don't understand and i just kind of have to gloss mm-hmm. over it yeah but yeah. now knowing that some of this stuff is not existing for me to know it's like i feel cheated uh-huh. <laughs> like it's like i, I could mean, there's no studying there's, i could have done to like um, way through this there book. like there is a a reading list i found online there is a, a chronological from first appearance in 54 to this detective comics uh, issue. Okay. Uh, there are issues you can pick up. So I believe you get bits and pieces of the story. Okay. But most of the previous books between when she shows up in 54 and Detective Comics, it seems like it's more either a cameo or as a side character that's happening in someone else's book. So she doesn't really take center stage until this story. And so I don't know how much you information you get, but some of this stuff is laid out in bits and pieces of of DC canon. Okay, but okay, I have one important thing to clarify, though. The werewolves and the were-octopuses that show up, mm-hmm. are you saying to me that, that that did not exist in a previous story? Well, okay, I believe that the, the syndicate of crime is probably a pre-existing thing. Okay. Um, and I'm sure that Batwoman getting her heart cut out by them was probably... an incident that happened okay um but like the the degree to which they flesh out like like her history like this might i I think this is maybe when we find out why she became batwoman okay i think this is where they dig a little more into like that she is sort of tied into this weird crime religion like i think some of the the revelations are in this book and that maybe there's a little bit of setup but this is sort of the payoff to that. Okay. Because I think that that scene in particular was the only one where the lack of information felt like it took me out of the story. Mm. Like, I turned yeah. the page, and it's like, okay, Batwoman is fighting uh, Alice. I turned the page, like, oh, this is bad. She's going to get walloped or whatever. I turned the page, there's this werewolf out of there. And I'm like, weird, but okay, I guess Alice has werewolves. And then the werewolves are against Alice. And I'm like, well, I don't understand what's going on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I also found that really confusing. Yeah. Um, and like, I've read enough superhero comics that I just, I just assumed that, oh, this is a thing from like some other storyline and they're just yeah. reintroducing it. And then people who have read those are like, oh, look, it's the werewolves again. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, like from a cold reader, it yeah, was just yeah. so dissatisfying. Yeah, I'm like, like I don't care. About these werewolves, yeah. I don't care what's yeah. happening. Like, oh. yeah, no, me too. The the syndic- the crime syndicate and the werewolves were the parts that I cared about the least yeah. by far. Those those were actually that was actually the part that was the most jarring for me on rereading as well. Is I'd forgotten that just these shape changing people just kind of randomly show up, and I just was like, whoa, what? Yeah, um, you know, it's it's funny because like I I think I I had. Re- recommended this uh one because of the 
the media buzz over Ruby Rose taking on the character oh, for the TV okay. show. Oh, okay. Um, so I don't think I've even heard of that. Batwoman is now officially part of the Arrow shared universe. And uh, Ruby Rose, who was on Orange is the New Black, was cast as her. And then the internet exploded for a, a week as this is the greatest casting. This is the worst casting. And it made me think about this comic. And so I thought, let's let's read it. Let's reread it. Let's talk about it on Trade Waiters. And, um, you know, I really like Batwoman, the character. But, yeah, I'd forgotten that there was a few. <laughs> uh, see, the things that I remembered, I remembered Alice. I remembered the turn with Alice. Yeah. I remembered really thinking that was satisfying. And I all I remember all the backstory stuff. So the stuff of her being a Marine and the way they handle her getting kicked out of the Marines and then her kind of being adrift and purposeless and then sort of having this encounter with Batman that sort of inspires her to become Batwoman. Like, that's the stuff that I still remembered. The shape-changing, like, crime syndicate <laughs> people, like, I was like, oh, whoops. Like, that's kind of weird. Like, I forgot about that It's stuff. okay for something to be weird. <laughs> uh, I will say that back off that you just described where you're describing Batwoman, or sorry, where we learn about Batwoman and she's a Marine, you learn about her history with her sister. I found that half of the book way, way, way more compelling. Mm -hmm. Like, way more interesting. And also, when I got to that point of the book, and it was just regular panels, I just had this feeling of like, oh, thank God. This person (laughs) actually does know how to panel. And it's like, I can actually read this. It's, oh, man. So, like, both of you have the... um, have the physical edition. Yeah. If you're looking into this book, I strongly recommend picking it up in physical edition. Mm. In digital edition, it was kind of a nightmare because so many of the spreads are two-page spreads. Uh, Yeah. So the reading experience for me was having it vertical so I can actually read the thing, reading the page, turning the page, okay, rotating my tablet, letting my tablet reconvene. Now it's like, where am I looking? And it's like, spend so Mm. much time just physically navigating the story right that it took me a long time to emotionally navigate the story right (laughs) i you know i hadn't thought about that and i actually now that you bring it up i don't even want to imagine what guided view would look like oh forget (laughs) it because i mean i mean and this is the thing because i think um when you frame it this way i i I see the negative but for me looking at it just as like a two-page spread in a printed book i think jh williams does these beautiful like artistic layouts where he's got panels shaped like the bat symbol and you know these like fragmented like panels that like merge into like an open page like i think they're beautiful layouts in print but when you bring it up as like a digital experience yeah that seems like (laughs) completely at odds with the the tablet yeah and it's not even that like it was annoying but it wasn't a deal breaker for me. What was a little bit challenging is that in addition to the complexity of these spreads, like the, the spreads, I agree with you. They're really innovative and they're really beautiful. Like they're really quite nice to look at and they're really cool from a comic standpoint. But then narratively, I didn't understand why mm. these complex panels were here. They didn't really suit the character to me. Like, if, if you think of the character of Kate Kane, she's very serious. She's very hard-nosed, right? And the way that Batwoman, you know, the alter ego, the costumed mm-hmm. fighter, was portrayed is that this it's very florid style, you know, like, it's very metaphorical. It's almost like a dreamscape. And I just, I mm. couldn't connect that with the plot. Mm. It seemed 
I, I didn't understand the relationship. Mm-hmm. That's I would. I mean, I I'm just making a guess, but I would almost say that Greg Rucka wrote these like story scenes that J. H. Williams put into a grid and executed with competency, and then there were parts of the script that said hey, J.H., there's a fight scene, go nuts. And, like, I think for, like, the, all the action scenes, like, the artist just got to play in the sandbox. Maybe. There's actually a couple pages of script in, in the back of the book. Uh, sort of like, here's the steps we went through. And I haven't I, I haven't read it ahead of time, but yeah, just was, glancing at it. I was tired, it, I remember that. <laughs> um, it, I don't see any notes about page layout. Just, like, looking at it briefly here. So, I mean, maybe I'm missing something because I'm not reading this very carefully, but uh, I think that's pro. My guess is going to be that that's on the artist, not the writer. Yeah, and it's fine. Like, from a... This is where I, I get back to my conclusion of, like, it's cool and it's a good comic. It's just not for me because that... Mm. I, I could tell, like, it was, like, super, super beautiful to look at. I think the art in this comic is top-notch. Mm-hmm. You know, like, in terms of execution, like, it's a beautiful book. It just didn't click with me mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. of that that disconnect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I would definitely say it's a little bit kind of. I, I don't want this to sound derogatory, but it's like kind of style over substance. Like there's these flourished panels that aren't always easy to read. Like I think the priority here is more on a beautiful layout to the page, not necessarily clearly articulating exactly what's happening in this in the action of the scene. Yeah. I think, like, now that we're talking about this, this reminds me of a couple pages in Understanding Comics where Scott McCloud is talking about the projects where there's a separate artist and writer and the writer goes away to hone their craft and make the best, most uh, florid Shakespearean writing they can possibly make and the artist goes in the other direction and makes the most dramatic... Uh, painterly art they can possibly make of and then they try to meet in the middle and then they're too far apart from each other. Mm. I feel like this is a physical manifestation of that oh, interesting. phenomenon. Because they're both, they're both really good. Like the art is fantastic. The writing has like, there's a lot in the writing that I really like. But yeah, there, I can see that it's like, I, there were a couple of pages where I couldn't tell, uh, like I was taken out of the story by like trying to figure out, okay, which is the next panel? Mm. And I'm reading it in print. So mm. yeah. But then it's like it gets extra confusing for me when you get to the second half where everything works so much more smoothly. Mm. It's so easy to read. I feel like both Mm -hmm. the writing and the art are super, super strong in that section, which brings me back to this reason of like, what was the purpose of those layouts? Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, why push that hard? And if it was like, you know what, we're just going to try and break the boundaries of what's possible in comics, that's fine but it didn't seem like Mm -mm -mm. why why batwoman why this story right why is this the story we're trying to do that with and i couldn't right yeah 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 (laughs) yeah i uh yeah i don't know i'm actually i'm curious if the creative team would have a response to that actually (laughs) but no i mean uh you know now that we're kind of talking about just like this section versus like say the fight scenes like that was something that i hadn't appreciated when I first read this, but when you're in the Batwoman scenes, when it's Batwoman fighting Alice, you have these crazy panel layouts and you've got these like occasion, like Batwoman is essentially watercolored in every, every panel she's in. 
like highly, highly de- hyper detailed. And then when you get into like the flashbacks of her sister and her growing up and her as a Marine, you have the really, really minimalist art style. Like not just in terms of the panels being rectangular, but the art itself is just like really sparse, minimalist comparatively to like the Batwoman scenes. Like there's not all this hatching and texture. There's not this watercoloring. Like it's almost looks like it. I would have, if I didn't read the credits, I would have guessed that there was another artist mm. doing the flashback scenes. He does have incredible range. And and it's just, yeah, this range of this artist, which I mean, I don't think I'd appreciated how much range J.H. demonstrates in this series because I've mostly seen him work more in the Batwoman end of things. And this is my first time really seeing him just strip it down and do a really simple kind of straightforward comic. Like all of Promethea was like Batwoman, just really, Hmm. really elaborate layouts and um, heavily rendered characters and stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just so funny because it's like, I almost feel like this is two books. Mm. <laughs> and I was here for the back half, and I wasn't here for the first half. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. Uh, can we Do- talk about the the story? Yeah. Um, like, the, you mean the back half? Or, well, <laughs> or just mostly the- that, because that's the part that I found the most interesting. Yeah. I I thought it was really interesting, the, the way the character is written. Uh, and this is something I've thought about a lot, because I've read a lot of superheroes, is the... Like, what is the purpose of this genre? Why are there superheroes? Why write that kind of story? And I think over the years, the conclusion has come to is what I think superheroes should be for is that if you're writing stories about characters who are seeking justice but can't find it through the established system, there's really only two ways you can go about it. You can either have a character who is basically Rorschach and says the system isn't strict enough I'm going to be the one to lo- go and like beat people's heads in. Uh, or you can say this is someone who sort of uh, embodies the failures of the system. Uh, the system clearly doesn't provide justice for everybody. And so here's a character who needs to find justice some other way. And I feel like the, the way that Batwoman's backstory is written fits into that second method much much better where her goal from the start is clearly some combination of truth justice blah 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 uh, which is why she becomes a marine but then she gets kicked out of the marines for being honest and being herself and so clearly the system is broken but her goals are the same and so the only option she's got is I'm going to put on a costume and dress dress up like a bat (laughs) and I like that I think more superheroes should have that sort of questioning voice of why is this person in a costume mm. in the first place yeah. and I think this book answers that question better than a lot of them and I, I really liked you mentioned this earlier Jeff but this section where uh, Kate was very lost yeah. after having been kicked out of the marines you know like I actually really liked that section of someone who was aimless and drifting and like gets called out for it by the yeah. people in her life and uh, Batwoman as an identity really centers her and gives her purpose again mm-hmm. I really like that interpretation John I hadn't I haven't read enough superhero yeah. comics so that's, yeah. that's really neat yeah I mean related to maybe uh, superhero cliches I also just really appreciated the fact that her dad is alive and <laughs> is supporting her in yeah. her endeavor to be Batwoman and that he, was really nice. he acts as her Alfred <laughs> and it's like it's nice to have a superhero who doesn't have 
oh, my whole family died and that inspired me for, you know, it's like her dad's there. Her dad's there as a support. And I just think the relationship between her and her dad was handled really well. Like, even when, you know, like she, she comes home and tells her dad, like, I got kicked out of the Marines because, uh, you know, they uh, said that I was, you know, they, they wanted me to renounce um, being gay. And he's, he's, he's like, like, what, what, like, why, what happened? And she's like, well, I couldn't, I couldn't say no, because that would be a lie. And he's just, there's a pause. And then he's just like, okay, then like, I support you. Like, <laughs> I just like the, the, the way that's, I'm not doing it justice, but the way that scene was written, I thought was really well done that it's like, she kind of comes out to her dad and talks about getting kicked out of the military. And he just immediately is just like, well, like, we're going to move forward from here. We're going to get past this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's like, there's some aspects of that relationship with the dad that I still don't kind of get in retrospect now, knowing that there is no other <laughs> canon. Like why, why the stepmother? Like, why is this role of the stepmother so complicated and fraught and weird Yeah, with like, he experienced a lot of trauma. The father experienced a lot of trauma in losing his wife but then somehow, like, bounced back into this, like, ultra-rich person. And it's, hmm. like, there wasn't enough detail there to make sense. Hmm. Uh, if I were to guess, and this is only a guess because I haven't read anything else by DC, uh, it seems like maybe this is set up so that future writers have, like, things that can hang on to. And, like, here's a character from huh. previous issues, and I'm going to write more about this character. Okay. Like, maybe they're just sort of putting pieces on the field that someone else can play with later. Oh, it's such a strange way to write. It is. It is really strange. Like, I don't know. My experience of reading this is that I chose to (laughs) read it as a self-contained story with a beginning, middle, and end. And I plan never to read anything else to so as not to, like, diminish that. And to to (laughs) its credit, sorry to cut you off, Jeff, to its credit, like... It's really, really hard to find books like this in superheroes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It did feel like I I got through this story. Yeah. And I didn't, for like these details that didn't really make sense to me, I got through it largely feeling uninterrupted by the greater canon. Mm-hmm. Like Batman shows up for like one page and he's yeah. like, don't worry, wait. And like that's, <laughs> it's like, I know who Batman is. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I didn't feel like I was handicapped for not having a lot of depth of lore. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciated that it did feel like a story with a beginning, middle and end. Mm. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And like, even when we read Ms. Marvel and I love Ms. Marvel, but because they're part of the Marvel Universe, every every so often there's an episode where like editorial has decided, oh, you have to tie this into this other thing. Yeah, it's like, and, like as an outside reader, it's like ah, that's the thing I don't care about. Yeah. So yeah, there, you're right. There was uh, apart from the crime syndicate uh, and like weird werewolves. Yeah. There wasn't much else that was like you needed to know other canon. Yeah, I mean, to care about other canon. Yeah, I, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I would actually say, uh, like, I enjoyed this book so much that I did buy the next book, and, like, there's, yeah, it, there's no satisfying continuation off of, like, they're saving Alice for the future, so it just goes off on some other tangent, and... Oh, is she I alive? Like, I thought she was dead. Oh, it's superhero comic. She'll be back. <laughs> I, I did, but, like, that was my guess at the end, and, like, we don't see her body... Yeah. So I'm saying, oh, yeah. even if we did, I would still yeah. figure out. There's, they're going to yeah. bring her back. Well, I mean, so, like, so I mean, I nobody guess, dies. Uh, I mean, so I, and I death feel, is dead. But I would, I would say that, like, reading book two, I felt the lack of Greg Rucka in the writing. I felt his absence, and 
it reminded me that, oh, now you're reading a serialized superhero comic where I felt like this book in and of itself just sort of stood on its own and you could sort of read it and feel like you got through the arc and you can kind of, yeah, you can kind of like be satisfied and walk away from it and not sort of continue to read when like, yeah, Alice comes back or her clone <laughs> comes back or whatever. Um, and I, oh, I was going to just say, I really liked Alice as a villain. Uh, I think for the same way I sort of saw like that her dad is like her, filling in as the Alfred character. I thought Alice made a great Joker. Like she hit a lot of the same boxes, but still was kind of unique. And I, I, I appreciated the fact that every speech balloon was a lift from Alice in Wonderland. I thought that was really, I was actually kind of marveling at the process there that Greg Rucka had to like copy passages out of Alice in Wonderland and just try to find how to fit them into his script. And I, I appreciated the effort that he went into to to bring that weird affectation to his villain. I don't know. I felt <laughs> less enthusiastic about Alice as a character. Mm. There's like we don't know like I when we fa- find out who she actually is, so, that was when I started to care. Mm. Before that, she was not very interesting. I agree. Yeah, this is why I'm saying, like, I just enjoyed the second half of the book. And it's like, I just wish these were flipped. I feel like (laughs) if you had this very, like, imagine, imagine with me, like, yeah. So you do have to endure the fact that it's a less compelling story overall without the somewhat artificial guise of, like, let's just memento this thing. But if you had this story of these sisters who were traumatically separated and it's drawn in this very, like, plain style and then you flip and it's like she's seeking justice now so it's like she endured this like really bad trauma and she needs to find her way in the world again and she transforms into this being that enacts justice and it's really florid and really beautiful and things get crazy and then it builds to this crescendo with like Mm. they're gonna nuke the city and it's like oh but it's her sister all along twist I felt like like, that would be way more satisfying Hmm. okay interesting but I mean I'm not the writer and I don't it's fine yeah I wonder what the reading experience would have been for the non-trade readers who read this as monthly floppies because mm. I don't see the seams all the time like when they when it's a new issue hmm. but you really wouldn't get very much of the story with like just 20 something pages so Oh do you think <laughs> do you think it was like a sales thing? Oh, so they're they're showing us both stories to keep readers buying? No, like imagine like it's issue one and you're trying to get someone to buy your first floppy. You're going to put the most beautiful. Right. Mm. That makes sense. I forgot there are people who aren't trade readers. (laughs) Yeah. That's actually, there we go. Okay, that's, we solved it, team. Good job. (laughs) Every time you pick up up a floppy, you got to open it up and go like, whoa, I'm going to buy it now. Basically, uh, right? Yeah. And then it's only when you're invested in this series that you can put up with mm-hmm. minimalist art. Oh, what a shame. It's, I don't know. It's, um, I'm not sure how to react to the fact that every form of comics is so beholden to its medium of delivery, where monthly comics have to be a certain way or you can't make them. Graphic novels also have to be a certain way or you can't make them. Manga has to be a certain way and it causes all kinds of problems for the 
reading experience afterwards because you have to save the ending for like when the money runs out and you have to suddenly write write the last chapter and, and strips and <laughs> newspaper strips as yeah. we will see in our uh, the episode after this one like there's I don't know prose doesn't seem like it has these kind of restrictions maybe I just don't know prose well enough or mm. can see the seams as well or maybe that's I just all I think it has head. there are so many if you're a person who works with words there's a lot more flexibility into the home you can find for those words so you can write comics you can write plays you can write shorts you can write poems you can write novels you can write novellas right like they're each of those mediums still has a lot of rules and its own clicks and its own like struggles i mean talk to a poet if you want to talk about <laughs> the struggles of being a poet but um Although, interesting sidebar, apparently poetry is making a huge resurgence on Instagram. Nice. I actually met an Instagram poet recently. Yes, and <laughs> slam poetry is also, like, becoming, oh, you know. Nice. So, word up to poets. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think that's a little bit more flexible, perhaps, if you're a person who works with prose than if you're a person who works with comics. Maybe. I mean, it could also be a question of money where you can pack more story per page at a smaller cost in prose than you can in comics. So you the the format hits you sooner if you're making comics. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I think like uh it's like I think that this could have maybe been a little bit more of a compelling story if it had the ability to just be a self-contained trade. Like, hey, we want to write this story about this woman who goes out to seek justice, but instead it's like, we got to tell the story about this woman who goes out to seek justice who lives in this giant shared universe that's filled with all these other crazy characters. There's this octopus man and this werewolf man, and they got to tie in, and Batman shows up for a second to just be like, hey, people are going to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then no one's actually allowed to die because like some other writer like is going to have access to those characters, and they're going to want them back. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. There's there's a. It, I can't imagine the challenge of writing a superhero comic in a in in an established universe and doing a good job. I'm not sure that I would necessarily be up to that task. Super agree. I would not be up to it. I I mean I guess like if um if there's like one kind of positive I can maybe end with um it's just like I was thinking about the fact that you know this is a like one of the big three publishers and it's like a fairly mainstream source uh, for these characters and I just sort of felt like it was a positive that you're reading this Batwoman comic and then you have this like little sidebar where these two women are just like flirting with each other and having like a dance and it's like I think like it's just nice that they're bringing kind of alternative lifestyles into the mainstream here like I, I like that it's sort of people who would maybe pick up a Batwoman comic may not necessarily be looking to like read about LGBTQ characters. And so this might be a way to kind of, you know, like introduce them to things that they maybe wouldn't introduce themselves to otherwise. Right? It was definitely nice to see it normalized. Yeah. Yeah. It did it did feel quite normal, which mm-hmm. is nice. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do I you have any final Yeah, I have like uh, yeah, yeah. conclusion, concluding mm-hmm. remarks. Yeah. Uh, if you're looking for a superhero book that's going to change your mind and make you a convert into 
all superheroes all the time, I don't think this is the book. If you're looking for a book that you want to learn more about superheroes, and you're looking for a less painful way in, I think this has a, a, a lot to unpack hmm. and is a really interesting experience and it's like a good standalone recommendation. I, I really appreciated that. So like, it's it's scary to try and wade into <laughs> comics, to superhero <laughs> comics. Uh, so this was not as scary of an experience and I appreciated that. So Excellent. if that's your goal, I think it is a pretty decent book for that. It's entertaining. I think... I would only recommend this to superhero fans because, <laughs> like, the chances that it's going to work otherwise are slim. But I do think it's made with a, a, an incredible amount of skill. Uh, and I found the character uh, really compelling. I think it's a, an interesting character study. So if you're a fan of superheroes, even if not DC superheroes, or if you're looking for just a, sort of an interesting study of a superhero character and why they're a superhero. I thought this one was pretty good. Yeah. Right on. Okay. I am Jeff Ellis. You can find my work at uh, eastfancomic.com. I'm going to shout out another book I picked up when I was in Europe. It is a gigantic volume about the life of Josephine Baker by two artists, uh, one called Cattell and the other uh, Bouquet. Because uh, as we've established, uh, BD artists only use one name. I'm Jonathan. Uh, you can find my work at phobos-comic.com. And this isn't a comic, but I've been reading uh, The Obelisk Gate by N.K. Jemison, which is the second book in the first trilogy to win three Hugos in three years, which is, like, unprecedented. And boy, these books are good. Really? Okay, um, remind me of that. Later. And I would actually specifically recommend them as well to anyone who is a superhero fan. Not because they're about superheroes, because they're not, but I feel like if they were written as a superhero comic, they would be the best superhero comic. There's enough threads there that I think fans of one should be fans of this as well. I'm Jam. I'm ambivalent about the internet and my presence therein. Uh, however, I do have a weird new book coming out. It is Emerald City exclusive. So if you're going to come to Emerald City, you should come and see me and get one of these very limited books that I made with my friend Faye. It's called Wander, and it's about a journey. And my mainstream shout-out is for a book I read recently called Upgrade Soul. Uh, I found this book on one of the Best of 2018 Roundup kind of lists, and it's science fiction, and it's very body horror very weird, very unsettling, really engaging and really interesting. I thought it was a really fascinating standalone book. Uh, and if you like science fiction and can tolerate a lot of body horror, I, I think it's pretty good. Our next book will be the Calvin and Hobbes 10th anniversary book by Bill Watterson. The Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. Thanks to the Vancouver Public Library for letting us record in the Inspiration Lab and Sleuth for the music. You can find us at tradewaiters.tumblr.com as well as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.